Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And welcome to After Hours with Tifo and Luby. I'm Jeff DeForest along with Mike Luby Lubitz here on the Believe Network. And uh, I do remember as a young kid, I would say circa about 50 years ago, uh, I was a drummer in bar mitzvah bands and uh, playing around on Long Island. I I wasn't very good, but I I used to uh, cash in on being in a musician's union. And uh, any time that you struck up a, a chorus of this song, I mean, everybody got off the dance floor and people started singing. It was just absolutely amazing. And, of course, it was the American classic, Bye, Bye, Miss American American Pie. Now, I wasn't the uh, singer, obviously. I was just in the background there like Ringo on drums. But, uh, you know, took my Chevy, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. A classic, uh, iconic American uh, tune. And we welcome the author and uh, the man who was uh, the main impetus behind the performance of this song for 50 years now. And now about to embark on a 50-year anniversary tour uh, of the uh, writing and the creation of Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Don McLean joins us here. uh, And uh, he is in many halls of fame uh, when it comes to music and uh, Grammy Award uh, winner. Uh, Don, uh, welcome to the show. Good to have you on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Well, thank you. Thank you for that very nice introduction. No, it was great. I mean, it was one of those things. Joy to the World was the only other song that moved people like that, uh, you know, and that was uh, just prior to that, uh, you know, the uh, publishing of uh, your fine song. Well, what was the inspiration for it, uh, Don? I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but, uh, you know, I, and, and it seems like, did, did you write this thing down on a napkin somewhere <laughs> where, where you were in, like, a, a restaurant having something to eat or drink? And no, I, was, no, uh, I, I, you, I I wrote it down on some green paper uh, that I sold for $1.2 million a few years ago. That's good, man. Nice. (laughs) Glad you kept it. I I dumped it in the garbage can and grabbed it, you know. And now I I started collecting uh, work product, you know, from songs that I was actually creating and uh, without ever anticipating that, you know, you know, you just don't know what the future holds. I mean, to imagine that that manuscript would have sold for that um, when I held on to it along with hundreds of other songs. Um, and you don't realize now these publishing catalogs are selling for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and I, I own my entire publishing catalog nice. and wow. I own all my albums and I control all this stuff. So I've just become very wealthy in the last six years, <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, that's sensational. And each one, it's kind of like uh, quarterback contracts in the National Football League. Uh, sports is normally our bag uh, here on the show uh, where, you know, one guy gets paid and then the next guy gets more. And it seems like that's uh, the direction that, that these uh, publishing rights are going for. Uh, now, yeah. uh, has your song not been used in any number of commercial enterprises also? And, uh, you know, uh, musicians sometimes are sensitive about that. At least they were in the 70s, like, I'll never sell out and have my song in a commercial. And then, like, uh, every uh, car commercial has, like, an Eagle song in it. No, no, no. I love selling out. Uh, anytime they want to sell me out, I'm so happy. Uh, Chevrolet had me twice. Oh, my God. They paid me so much money. I loved it. It's so yeah. much fun to think you can do this, you know. 
and it was tasteful. It was real well done, and I love American cars, so I was so happy with that. I didn't mind at all. We've got great car companies, and um, yeah, but the thing about the the sports analogy that you made is, though, yeah, the new guys get paid the millions, but the Willie Mazes and the Mickey Mantles, you know, they end up being greeters in uh, <laughs> Vegas, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's the sad part. <laughs> And Which was, you so obviously a, haven't had to resort I'm, to uh, at this point. So yeah, that's why I'm happy I uh, I had held on to everything, you know, because uh, no, I'm uh, I'm good. But uh, and so is Paul McCartney, and so is uh, you know Neil Diamond. But uh, you know, it happened. Let me tell you something. A lot of us, and I mean this, you, you, we talk about the successful guys, but there are hundreds of others that tried and thousands and had record deals and never made it. And a lot of them, you know, ended up like homeless. So there's no going back once you start in this business. Um, Ten years down the road, you're not going to go back and get a, a job, even if you have a college degree. You know, you have to start from the beginning. And so I, any one of us could have been, I mean, flat out homeless. Yeah, we're heading in that direction, uh, at least uh, the way it seems to be going here. Uh, we've fallen off many a lofty perch in uh, the position we're in right now. Don McLean, a singer-songwriter with us. Uh, now, now, the inspiration for the tour, is it just the 50 years? Uh, what gave you the itch with all of this capital that you've been able to accumulate to go back out on the road again? And it's a very ambitious tour well, involving not just U.S., but uh, European too. destinations. And, uh, I think people hearing the words 50 years in American Pie, they say, wow, has that thing been around that long? I mean, you know, they don't think they believe it. And uh, they think, maybe I'll go out and see this guy one more time, you know. So yeah. we're getting a lot of people in the shows, and um, I'm having a blast. You know, I'm, I'm, I can't believe at my age that I'm hot again. <laughs> I mean, Taylor Swift is writing me love letters and sending me flowers, for <laughs> <Nice>. God's sake. <laughs> What could be better than that? She's so fantastic. No, that's fabulous. Uh, you know, and that's one of the great things. I mean, uh, you know, we deal with uh, athletes. There's a lot of ego involved in sports. But being a huge music fan also, I mean, uh, when you look at the respect and the mutual admiration and support that musicians give each other, you know, where, you know, you can go to a club where uh, guys are just getting up together for the first time and improvising, and it sounds sensational, like they've been rehearsing together for years. Uh, it's always great to see that kind of enthusiasm that, that goes on. I, I, I'm sure it's not everybody, but it seems like for the most part, uh, musicians uh, really do things for the love of the music. Well, uh, U.B. Blake, the great piano player, you, you may remember him. He lived to be in his 90s. He said, all a musician wants is something to play. Mm. And that's a profound statement because there's a lot of stuff around now that you can't play. You hear it on the radio, but you can't play it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the songs that you were talking about and the ones that have been around really occasionally, but really through the mid-80s, I think, when video came in, were songs that were real songs that you could play. Oh, fantastic stuff. Well, we wish you the best Good of luck, luck with the tour. I wish we had more time to speak. Uh, delightful uh, to have you on our Believe podcast, uh, Don. You. And, of course, everybody has that song in their head. Yep. And, uh you know, and it's interesting, too, because uh, for the most part, they, they can at least carry a couple of verses before they go into. Yeah, na, 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 And uh, yeah, that's a tribute to you and your brilliance. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here on the Believe Podcast Network. I enjoyed it very much. Nice. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Don. Be well. All right. Thanks so much.
Good for him. Good guy there. That's the guy's yeah. our dream. And he's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. He's like, I saved everything and I sold everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love Remember that. Remember that when, when people thought, wow, it would be a disgrace <laughs> if the Rolling Stones ever allowed one of their uh, songs, like Sympathy for the Devil, was in the background of a commercial for like uh, tuna fish or something, you know, exactly. <laughs> seemed incongruous and uh, seemed, you know, and that was also at a time when, when McLean uh, had this song where, you know, there was a big anti-commercialism sentiment Yep. where everything was supposed to be artsy fartsy. And we were all about the inherent beauty and truth that, that exists in the world. And we were seeking our own path and uh, we would never sell out to corporate America. Yeah, whatever. And uh, you have to love it, right? <laughs> this guy, like, fully a thousand percent embraces it, says, uh, bring it on, man. <laughs> you know how much money I made off Chevrolet? That's good. Yeah, because that's the thing is, nowadays you'll hear a song have, like, 17 sponsors mentioned, and it's on purpose. Like, they have deals with sponsors, so they work the sponsors into the song. He wasn't doing that on Which purpose. Which is the way I like it. I <laughs> yeah, want to know I'm getting I was going to say, that's us. That's yeah. We work it into a segment. So we just pay homage to those people. But back then, him working Chevy into the song was just because that's the car he drove. Like, it wasn't any ulterior motives. But I love that years later, he was able to make probably millions because those commercials run a lot, and they're national, and they will reuse them years later. He seemed to have do, done really well, so good for him. I'm, I pay homage to Mr. Don McLean. Predating uh, cell phones, uh, of course, uh, the uh, typical M.O. for uh, you know, making the acquaintance of a woman, and uh, you, you would ask, uh, you know, you're at a bar, uh, you know, someplace where uh, people are gathering, and uh, you make the acquaintance there, maybe send a drink over, go over and talk for a while. You ask a girl for her phone number, and uh, she would write it on a napkin. Yep. I, I was a traditionalist in this sense. So that, yep. That's the way I wanted it. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, I think some of the romance was taken out of uh, the whole scenario when uh, you would say, oh, okay, well, just uh, here's my cell phone number. Just call me. <laughs> yeah, but you know, because I still existed in that era. Like, I didn't get a phone till like, 17, 18. So yeah. when I was young trying to get numbers, I give you credit for liking it. I didn't. Like, I would lose so I, many I numbers. Liked it. Yeah, it was cool. Like, and then you would come home from, like, six different spots, and you'd uh, unload, like, 42 napkins like, exactly. that you had. Like, I would lose numbers so often, and then I would find the wrong number, and I'd call the wrong one, have the wrong name. Like, I got in so yeah. much trouble doing that. Like, I actually Well, a lot of times, too, uh, you know, the girl, if she really wanted to blow you off and just figure this was an easy way to get rid of you, she would write down a wrong number. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> you, you would think you were calling, uh, you know, some absolutely gorgeous, <laughs> stunning young lady, and you ended up getting, like, the dog pound. <laughs> so you want to adopt? <laughs> like, adopt what? What are you talking about? You have children? You didn't say anything about that. Yeah, exactly. You don't sound like you did at the bar. You thought it was her. In fact, you don't sound particularly good looking. <laughs> you don't sound anything alike. Hey, <laughs> what you sound like uh, you know, uh, a drill sergeant. How much did you drink like, uh, last night? <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, that wasn't, uh, you know, I, I guess that, that would happen also in the cell phone era where a uh, girl yes, punch in her number and uh, make sure it was a wrong number. Maybe even there was the number of her uh, uh, mob-connected boyfriend. <laughs> uh, that, that could be. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up uh, about the uh, number on a napkin is because it was kind of cool there, Don McLean writing one of the all-time American classics, and uh, I guess musical classics, which uh, I, I don't know, I mean, even if I'm a... He was a delightful person, and it was great. I, I wish we had more time to talk with these guys because you can kind of tell when they're getting a high sign from the PR people yep, yep, yep. that are uh, hovering over them as if they were, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, terrorists. And, <laughs> with the mask and the gun. <laughs> I got the ski mask and the gun in the guy's head and go, don't answer that last question, man. You'll screw up the whole day. <laughs> 
the whole day blown because you had to linger on there with those two guys you thought were funny out of Miami. And we're not even playing Miami. Because that's the time. That's the problem for them is they actually like what they're doing with us. Like, you keep it fresh and different. So they actually don't mind sticking around. So it must not be easy for the PR people because this oh, isn't no, the normal, like, e-entertainment interview that does six minutes and they're okay with it. When he gave us that last two-word answer, I, I could tell the piano wire was already coming out and was, like, firmly encased around his neck. Like Harlem. If you went any further with that <laughs> thing. So, you know, that's a price you pay for dealing with a guy that uh, has that kind of uh, iconoclastic presence in the music industry. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of that song, though. Uh, same thing, aware. Joy to the World. I, I couldn't believe it, right? That was, uh, what, Three Dog Night? How was it? The Joy to the World? Was, was that a Three Dog Night world. special? Joy to the World. Oh. Oh, the boys and girls and all the old uh, <laughs> Jewish bats that were at these bar mitzvahs I was playing at they would all of a sudden hit the dance floor. Get so excited. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you would have thought, my God, uh, you know, uh, you know this, uh, it's like we're at a strip club all of a sudden, right? <laughs> Everybody's got these sexy dances they're doing. Excited for the dumbest song. <laughs> dumbest song. Pissed. Dumbest uh, freaking song that you could possibly. The band hated playing it. Everybody hated playing it. Uh, it wasn't the case uh, with, uh, you know, American Pie. I mean, uh, that's that's a classic. But uh, also, I mean, it defied, uh, in terms of becoming a, a number one single pop hit, it, it defied all of the tenets of, uh, you know, the day because it was like a nine-minute song, wasn't yeah, it? It's super long, isn't it? I was going to yeah. ask. Like, I think it's super long. Like, I- super long by the standards of the day in terms of being a, a pop single. That would be played on the radio to a great extent. I don't know. Did they have a shorter version of something or something that they yeah, uh, played? I used to play it on our show. On top 40 stations? Because no song, song played nine minutes. No segment was nine minutes on those radio stations Sorry. at that period of time. So um, anyway, Don McLean, yeah, very uh, delightful fellow. It's eight and a half uh, that's minutes. For sure. The original song is eight and a half minutes. Longer than the interview. Yeah, exactly. That actually uh, is. <laughs> the song is longer than the interview. <laughs> should have said that if I had thought of it at the time. I would have said, hey, Don, it's, you know what's great about this? Uh, they're only giving you seven minutes with us. No, no, we were very happy about that. Because it, it, it's fun. kind of fun to talk to different people. It is. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it put off having to talk about the big issue of the day, which, uh, you know, from the sporting front, which is normally, uh, you know, the uh, area that we dive into here. And that is this uh, Calvin uh, Ridley uh, gambling issue where uh, Ridley, uh, the uh, Atlanta Falcons uh, wide receiver, who, who was going to be very much in play, I, I think, for a lot of teams now because yes. he, he was slated to make $11 bucks, uh, And we know that, uh, wow, don't the Falcons have massive cap problems yeah. because of Matt Ryan? They have massive cap problems, and they're not winning. They're one of these teams that rebuilding, tanking, whatever you want to call it, it just it makes sense for them to start over. They're not winning now with all this money. You might as well start over. That's why they got rid of Julio Jones last year. All right, and even if they got rid of Matt Ryan, I mean, does he not uh, somehow inhibit their salary cap to the tune of like $20 million? I'm not sure how that works. Uh, being a capologist, uh, <laughs> you have to understand, uh, you know, all bizarre applications of calculus and any other math format that you uh, traditionally got a zero on every test you took <laughs> or whatever it was given out, uh, you know, if you were studying that form of mathematics, which surprisingly for, uh, you know, you look at the uh, New York City school system, you, you would figure they would be radically behind, like Long Island, where, where I eventually moved. And yet we were way ahead of the pack there when, when it came to math and uh, English propositions. So by the time I got to Long Island, which were uh, the most, I mean, Nassau County on Long Island was the most highly taxed county. And, and I think it, it is among the most highly taxed counties anywhere in America. Probably still there. Yeah, yeah. Long Island right. is pretty bad. 
Nassau County. I mean, uh, Suffolk's a little more rural, even though they have the Hamptons out there. You would think that they would be paying a lot of money per capita. But the uh, point being that uh, you would figure the school system would be just outstanding there. And uh, yet they uh, were a little behind the times. But no matter what form of mathematics you were an expert at, it's very hard to understand what the hell is going on with uh, the NFL or any uh, league salary cap, uh, any of the cap leagues, which, uh, what, you have caps now in three of the uh, four major sporting entities, do you not? Hockey has a salary cap at this point. Uh, so does the NFL. And, and, of course, the NBA has one. But the NBA's salary cap, cap is somehow cap. is exceedable yeah. by however many billions of dollars yeah. you feel like because of the Larry Bird rule, which I, I think, by and large, is a good rule. Yeah, it has yeah. helped. I mean, guys like Giannis have stayed and guys like LeBron yeah. have stayed. And even Anthony, they usually at least stay through two contracts, which you don't see in every sport. In baseball, they assume you're leaving. Like in baseball, like after your first contract, unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees, they assume you're done. You're moving on. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, very difficult to understand. I mean, if Matt Ryan is no longer part of the Atlanta yeah, Falcons, how- which he's scheduled to make 40-plus million dollars. This year, so how, how do you afford to have a guy that maybe at best has one year left of a team on a team's roster that, in all likelihood, is not going to be anywhere close to a contender for the Super Bowl championship? Would you agree at that point, uh, because of the prohibitive nature of this guy's contract, that no matter how well he was playing and he wasn't bad last year, that you would have to say, okay, you know what, we need to establish some rookie in here and uh, fans be patient. Because uh, we, we just can't afford to have this guy on a roster or we're going to have to get rid of guys like Ridley, who unfortunately, and I don't know how this works against the salary cap, is now suspended. And uh, he's suspended for a year for gambling on football games while he was not with the team and not betting against the Atlanta Falcons. He did use them in some parlays. Yeah, bet for them. And, and he was making silly parlays uh, on an online betting site. Uh, in the state of Florida, which only had legalized sports wagering online or by a phone application for a period of about 24 hours before the government <laughs> shut it down. Uh, the same government that uh, went ahead and made a clandestine deal with a Native American tribe, in this case, the Seminole Indians, to have exclusive rights to this uh, while this happened under the cover of darkness and much to the surprise and dismay of many other gambling entities that were operating in the state. Because they all thought that they were going to prosper from sports wagering, which everybody else is. But, of course, in Florida, we fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, our governor got too greedy and only wanted to do it with one group when there's like five or six major groups that have just as much money as that one group. So, of course, now we don't have any gambling. <laughs> but Ridley got in that first month that we did have it. And so now yes. Ridley suspended for a year. <laughs> I don't even want to got paid. They shut the thing down before uh, you know, a exactly. uh, bet would have been paid off. I mean, it was probably still uh, undecided whether or not he was going to win or lose should, that's on his 18 parlays. Now, the guy puts a total, he says, of $1,500. He apparently was being uh, transparent with the National Football League once they uh, questioned him about this. So he didn't try to hide anything. He said he bet $1,500, a couple of inconsequential parlay bets, uh, he did include the uh, Falcons, his own team, in uh, I, I guess some of them, or maybe all of them. But uh, he, he wasn't with the Falcons at the time because he was on a mental health sabbatical of sorts, uh, where uh, he was on a, a non-football injury list. Yes, uh, absence uh, from the team. He left for personal okay? reasons. So yeah. it's not like he's in there trying to influence the games by dropping a pass and you know betting on the Falcons to lose. Uh, he, he didn't have any inside information on any of the other games. Uh, you know, he wasn't told that, uh, oh, by the way, Stephen Ross has instructed Brian Florence to lose this week. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that's what's great about this is they're yeah. hammering this kid. Okay, then you better hope 
Ross did not do that because if he did, he better get annihilated. Annihilated, yeah. You have bad. to be out of like, sports apparently, really like, like ruled off of uh, you know the grounds as they do if they catch a bookmaking at the racetrack. You're ruled off. That, that's the terminology for it. But I mean, the question would be: uh, Okay, was the punishment far too harsh? I think it was yes. eleven million dollars. It's going to cost this guy for doing something that the NFL is uh, boldly recommending uh, that you do uh, constantly throughout every telecast of the game. <laughs> To the point where it really is going to become a, you know, a situation. We were mentioning this on our Ion Channel show this morning where you're going to hear the play-by-play guy go to the color analyst. Uh, okay, Charlie, what do you think? They're going to run the ball or pass the ball uh, in this situation. And by the way, if you get in right now, start typing, kids. You can bet whether they're going to run or pass right now at minus 110. So send it in. Oh, there it is. Look at that. They ran it right into the line of scrimmage. And the guys that had run, they're all winners, you passers. Or losers. I'm surprised they haven't started doing that. Like they not only have every commercial break has at least one to two gambling yeah. entities, but in the game, FanDuel this, DraftKings that, yes. Caesars this, MGM that. So by the way, you can get down in the second half right <laughs> exactly. now. I mean, uh, even though you're hopelessly buried in the first half of this game, gather up some more money, barn it off your mother, and uh, bet the second <laughs> half because you might be able to get out. In think. fact, I would double your bets, so this way, if you are right in the second half, even though you were dead wrong about everything so far, you, make up for it. you might actually make a profit on the ball game there, and then everybody's happy. We're happy for you, because you'll come back and do the same stupid thing again. But don't gamble on it. You're done. <laughs> now, I will say this, and we were talking about this this morning also, and I'm watching last night's game. We're here in South Florida here. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby-Lubitz on After Hours, and I'm watching the Heat Versus the lowly, pathetic Houston Rockets having an awful season. Yeah. Uh, couldn't happen to a, a nicer guy than, than the owner there. <laughs> who uh, we, we interviewed one time. He, he, he was a real uh, prick. Yep. This guy for Tita. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I don't mind rooting for his franchise to lose. I, I feel sorry for the coach. He came in there last year and he stripped him of any kind of talent. And they've had all kinds of problems uh, ever since. And they're just losing every game. They had won the previous night. So they're 15 and a half underdogs to the Miami Heat. And, uh, Louie, you're saying that game went off 16 and a hook. I saw 16 and a hook last night. That's why when I saw the final score, I was like, wow. Steve always jokes about Vegas knowing what they're doing. They know what, they know what they're doing. I mean, these <laughs> lines are just razor thin, though, the margins. Uh, I, I don't know. How, how do you establish a number like that and have it be so accurate? It, it's just incredible. What, whatever numbers they crunch into the equation. It's crazy. It's amazing. And, and, you know, it's not like it takes them years to come up with this. It's not like they're trying to find a vaccine to fight the coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they do this uh, like instantly, right? Rockets, heat, yep. 15 and a hook. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, the, you know, the pub is going to adjust that slightly, but not that much. It's not like it went to six and a hook. No, no, no. You know, I mean, you're talking about a one-point differential from the original line that I saw on a ball game that was coming up after Houston had just won on the road the previous night. So, as we were saying, the likelihood that they win two in a row on the road, the likelihood they win one period is very small. I mean, they've had like long, hideous losing streaks this year. And uh, most of their losses are by double digits, very uh, convincing, significant losses. I, I think some ridiculous percentage of their losses are by double digits, the Houston Rockets on the season. And, and so uh, 15 and a hook is it, it, whatever number you had, uh, they, they go up 13 in the second quarter, the Houston Rockets, up 13 points. And you're thinking you have this one in the bag, right? And now you're up 29 points, uh, depending on what yeah, number yeah. you got. And, uh, okay, uh, that can change, and it did in a heartbeat. The Heat were up by halftime, ran away in the third quarter, and now the only interest that you could have possibly had in this game, watching it any further, was uh, to uh, see if Houston would cover the point spread. 
And that was not decided until the final, I would say, you know, it was leaning that way that the Heat would cover all during the end game, but it really wasn't officially decided until there was about seven seconds to go in a game where you finally could take a deep breath, go to the window and say, I want my money. If you had the Miami Heat laying 16 and a half and where you came up a loser, if you took uh, that very enticing proposition uh, with the Houston Rockets in that game, coming off a decent effort the night before. And I will say this, the Rockets play hard right to the end. They may be outgunned, but uh, it's not like they threw in a towel. I mean, they were giving it what they had. And, and then you're living and dying if you have money on the game with every yes. every brick that's lobbed up there, uh, you know, without any intention uh, or a conviction that it was going to go in on the part of the Rockets late in the ball game. You, you needed one of those to fall, and you're a winner. <laughs> when if you're the Heat, you weren't winning really the entire game. So the fact that if you had the Heat, in that game, and you become a winner. That's like a miraculous cover. <laughs> you started to, uh, you know, get into the cover range. It was trending that way all the way, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, through the uh, third quarter. And, and then you saw that it's probably going to be a heat cover in all likelihood. And then they went up like 21, 22 points. And, uh, you know, Houston continued to at least try. And, uh, you know, they got back into it. And, and it started hovering around 17, mm-hmm. which was the final margin. Uh, but but that was not decided, and, and and the way to keep people interested in a game, those last four minutes from a gambling standpoint were much more fascinating than any other aspect of the game, including the return of Victor Oladipo, who, as I asked you earlier this morning, Mike Luby Lubitz on our Ion Channel show, when did he become such a popular member of the Miami Heat, Victor Oladipo? It, well, it's like you make fun of me for loving the offseason more than the actual season. The idea of potential and hope matters more to people now than reality. The Heat are number one seed in the East. They don't need the help. But the idea that they could become this mythical team with Victor Oladipo matters more to the fan than actually the team that's kicking ass right now. I have to give Oladipo credit. But the only reason to watch, the only incentive to watch that game uh, into its uh, final moments, which the crowd is already gone. They're on the road trying to get to their cars and get the hell out of there. And it's not an easy place to uh, exit from uh, in terms of uh, traffic in uh, a very cramped area of uh, South Florida when it comes to traffic flow until you get to 95 and, you know, the expressway, and then, boom, you're on the road. But uh, it's also through not necessarily the most favorable of neighborhoods for uh, people that are driving around, uh, you know, in very expensive cars there because they can afford the floor seats. Uh, Those guys are long gone. The only (laughs) people that were interested in the game anymore were people who had money on it, and and that's the beauty (laughs) of being a degenerate. It really is. So, So... Here's the NFL encouraging people to go crazy and bet on everything, and yet they're suspending a guy for a year for doing exactly what they're recommending to everybody else. Now, yes, uh, we talked to uh, one of our friends, uh, you know, who would be familiar with contractual language, and uh, he, he said this. It's very clear that the NFL, with regard to players, uh, does not want them betting on this sport, that, that it's yes. prohibited, and that there'll be serious, uh, you know, I hate to use the word sanctions with what's going on in the Ukraine right now, but... Uh, uh, serious uh, penalties. Yes. As in, I mean, this guy's going to lose $11 million. I, I, I'm hoping cooler heads prevail, that they got the message out there. Uh, maybe this guy gets, uh, you know, I mean, if if people uh, for sexual assault allegations were getting three-game suspensions like Ben Roethlisberger, yep. th- then how on earth do you suspend this guy for a year? It's like, uh, who was the guy, uh, I believe Johnson was his last name, uh, the receiver that was always uh, having problems, couldn't get on the field for the Bengals, and he was always suspended for marijuana use. Oh, um, oh, God. I can't believe I forget his name. He was a monster. Yeah, yeah. I, I a great receiver. Yeah, yeah, and he, he never got to fulfill his potential because he never got to play. I know. Because he, he was always on suspension. And, and literally, it, it was like, uh, you know, a, a Brittany Griner situation, only with the league, where, you know, this guy's crime was, like, ridiculously minor compared to anything else that, that has gone on 
uh, with regard to uh, the league and criminal activity with, with sexual assaults and gun charges and uh, DUIs and, and, you know, accidents that cause uh, death and, and bodily harm to other people. Josh Gordon. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Josh Gordon, yeah. No, no, Josh, Josh, Gordon. Gordon. Josh Gordon, yeah. Good call there, uh, Louis. Glad you came up with that before the end of the show. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, what, what penalty is just for this? I mean, it seems like a very innocuous, you know, uh, indiscretion on the part uh, of Ridley uh, to, to suspend him and cost him $11 million under the auspices uh, that, uh, wow, this has so seriously impacted the integrity of the league because he admitted it. You know what? So I'll never do it again. That, yeah. that would be that would be my position. I, look, I think he knew it was wrong, but I don't think he realized it was this bad. He wasn't affecting the game. He was betting yeah. on his team to win. And he, he wasn't playing either, so wasn't it wasn't playing. like he was going to. It was legal w- the way he was doing it. And the NFL has embraced gambling. Like, this isn't Pete Rose's time. Like, this is a very different age. I could see him getting penalized, but to act like gambling bad. Oh, wait, gambling good. Oh, wait, like, to me, it's very two-faced of the NFL to penalize someone this strongly in this era. This isn't Paul Horning. You know, this is a different day. Then, you don't then. think they gave uh, Roger Goodell a few freebie bets on DraftKings? Yeah, you can do whatever you want, Signing sure. a deal with the uh, NFL <laughs> and sure allowing them to penetrate and infiltrate uh, a position there where they are speaking directly to the people. Uh, how many games are just completely boring, uh, like, like this end of the Houston Rockets heat game? It would have sucked. I mean, if you're a heat fan, you're celebrating a big victory. But really, do you care anymore what the final margin is? No. No, no, no. And, and you'll be very uninclined to watch, uh, you know, garbage time there between the Rockets and the Heat. Unless you had a favorite that was now relegated to the heat bench because uh, Victor Oladipo was back in the rotation. And, uh, you know, certain guys that maybe you liked before that were filling in very capably and admirably uh, with the heat facing various injuries and COVID things and all kinds of stuff that happened in their roster this year. They managed to establish a lot of players that, that may not see the kind of significant time that they were before because uh, now the heat are healthy. Everybody's back in the lineup, and, uh, you know, they're playing some great basketball. But uh, their game would have held zero interest, 0.0, John Blutarski special, uh, had it not been for the point spread in in that game. And and with the leagues uh, encouraging uh, all kinds of gambling activity on their product, I I understand, uh, look, they they need to keep it clean and and, uh, not have even the slightest hint of impropriety. So I understand establishing a rule saying, hey, uh, no gambling on games Involving our sport. You want to gamble on something else? You, know, you want to make a six-team soccer parlay? Go ahead. <laughs> Knock your socks off. But, uh, yeah, pretty interesting, uh, the reaction here. And uh, it's kind of an interesting predicament for the National Football League, who warmly embraces all forms of gambling yeah, and recommends that you bet all kinds of goofball parlays. And at the same time, uh, is telling uh, Calvin Ridley, you're gone for a year. For fucking with us. Yeah, exactly. You and can't mess with this, stream of but. money. <laughs> it's like, I it, it wasn't like uh, the NFL <laughs> took a position and said, you know what? Gambling is bad. Look what it's done to this poor guy. We're divorcing ourselves and denouncing ourselves of any affiliation with gambling. We told you in the beginning it would never work. No, that wasn't their position. No, no. It, was like, it was like, don't fuck with us. Yeah, Ridley. that's their fear. Don't They're like, what are you doing, Calvin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> All right, that's a good uh, premise to end on. Don't fuck with us. (laughs) Our thanks to Don McLean uh, for joining us here on our Believe podcast, and uh, you can catch us on Believe Network. Also, Ion Channel, that's uh, 7 to 9. If you want the live version video streaming, you can see what we look like on Ion Channel and or just Google The Defoe Show, D-E-F-O, 
And uh, we have a lot of fun uh, doing our show on the East Coast every morning from 7 to 9, audio and video streaming, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. One of you are on, out of the South yeah. Florida area, as you were just about to say. Our, we put our very South Florida-influenced content on Five Reasons Sports Network as well. Yes. So we're all over the place. Everywhere. Should be making a lot of money. That all right. should be. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I'm not going to give up hope on that, uh, Libby, because you know how we uh, end every show. Uh, we, we tell everybody in Tug McGraw-like fashion, even with no baseball, Fans, thanks for listening, and you got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segretto here. You know, since day one, Catholic Health Services has been part of old school. And since we've started letting people know about them, it's changed their lives. You see, Catholic Health Services, while being recognized as one of the top places for stroke rehab in the country, it's also about a group of people who not just excel in what they do, from the doctors to the nurses to the therapist, on and on and on. It's how they do what they do every single day that separates them from the pack. They do it with a passion, unmatched, and the inclusion of family in every step of the process. Trust me when I tell you this. If you want the best unmatched rehab with a special group of skilled, caring people, there is truly only one place, and that one place is Catholic Health Services. Recently, we realized it's not just hurricane season that can hurt us. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Horizon Public Adjusters, Justina Testa, are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Before you call the insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Would you go into court without an attorney? So why would you go up against an insurance company without Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa? Seven to 10 times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee, give them a call at 954-809-8752. Why go up against insurance companies alone when you can have Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa on your side? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.